morning. How is everybody this morning? Good, good. I'm terrible. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm good. I'm good too. Thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. So how were their conversations over the holiday break with family and friends? Was it good? I mean, obviously, living in the wonderful state that we do, we have so much to talk about, don't we? New laws about driving and using your cell phone, right? I don't know if you heard, but marijuana is legal and people are standing in line for hours for it, you know, right? Maybe you heard that uh, minimum wage is going up. It's getting ready to change up a little bit. Oh, and if you, you couldn't get excited about it, those things, hey, guys, it's an election year. Who doesn't want to talk politics, right? You can just feel the awkwardness in the room right now. It's like, oh, I hope we're not talking about red and blue. And No, 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 not today. The truth of the matter is, though, if you want to have any meaningful conversation about anything that's going on in the world today, you know it's a landmine waiting to explode, right? And that's so disappointing. It's so disappointing that as a culture, we have learned how to polarize rather than find commonality. And so we're going to do this series called Love Handles to talk about how love handles these kind of conversations and maybe what we could do better. And the truth of the matter is, I think we all realize that we are all searching for fulfillment on some level. And yet loneliness and apathy and depression, they expose even the great tragedy of while we are more connected through technology and social media than ever before, it's only getting worse. We live in a world where everybody's searching for meaning and understanding, but yet we can't handle when somebody thinks different than us, acts different than us, talks different than us, votes different than us. And so we live in this world of brokenness where mistakes and pain and injustice and other people's mistakes happening to us begin to just compound the brokenness around us. And what it does is in this polarization, it it creates this chasm, this gap where people stand on opposite sides and just kind of shoot at each other. And I think the unique unique thing about this moment is that the church, that the family of Jesus is uniquely positioned to change that chasm. We believe that the brokenness of our lives is only restored through the brokenness of Jesus. And because of that, we have an opportunity for restoration and reconciliation. And in today's culture, polarization has become easier than understanding one another. Would you agree? It's easier to draw my line. It's easier to push my distance. It's easier to get away and have my mic drop moment than it is to actually wrestle with relationship, conversation. We see it happen in our marriages. We see it happen in our careers. We're more concerned about control than we are about having a meaningful conversation. And so what does that mean for us as a church? You know, it doesn't take long for us to jump into a coffee shop or get on Facebook or just to begin to engage with people and we begin to realize how different we all are. And we're all facing all sorts of different kind of conversations. So we thought in 2020, what... What could we do if we could step into these conversations differently? What if we could change the narrative and really kind of approach this? I know this is cliche. With how would, how would Jesus want our church to handle these conversations that 
that are a part of our culture today. I'm going to give you a couple things. Here's what I know we can't do. We cannot excuse ourselves from the conversation anymore. We have to be a part of it. Our goal is not to rush in and to shout our truth as loud as it is and hope that everybody changes their mind. But our goal is to live in both grace and truth. Some people prefer it that way, though, that we would just hide from these kind of conversations. Don't, don't bring that into my church. And yet, it's hard to watch the pattern of Jesus and not see him begin to invade and address and engage issues in our world from relationships, sexuality, politics. Jesus engages it all. But the other thing we under, have to understand is that we won't be heard if we don't resemble Jesus. We won't be heard if we don't begin to resemble Jesus. And while we know that Jesus addressed so many different idols of our lives, so many different things that we would try and pursue or make our own, whether it be uh, money or relationships or popularity or uh, ethical norms or uh, gender customs that should not be, we, we knew that Jesus stepped in. The way he handled those situations was with both grace and truth. Jesus chose, whenever he spoke, in any relationship that he was a part of, whoever he addressed, Jesus always addressed it in love. So here's what we want to unpack throughout this series. Love is the best way to handle difficult conversations. Love is the best way to handle difficult conversations. And some of you know, you've seen on our social media where we want to go. Today, we want to talk about brokenness. Next week, we want to talk about sexuality. The week after that, we want to talk about racism and prejudice. And a week after that, we want to talk about addiction. And we want to have a family conversation about how maybe the church needs to address this, how we need to step up, not avoid the conversation, but engage the conversation, but do it in a way that resembles how Jesus would approach people. Because Jesus fully embodied love. And the tension of living out both grace and truth. I mean, truth is, we all kind of fall on one side or the other. We, we all tend to be, let's just be grace people. Let's just accept everybody as they are. Let them be who they are. Just, just love them, just love them, just love them, right? And some are, are like, well, yeah, but God wants to change us, so let's, let's give them the truth. Let's just, let's just, if they know the truth, they'll change. If they know the truth, they'll change, right? And Jesus, why, why does my voice do that? You know, why does my voice always do that when I do those things? But Jesus embodied love across both full of grace, and full of truth. And there's a tension in that. And love is what holds it together. He was fully love and grace, ready to forgive people of their sin, ready to help them move forward. But Jesus was also full of truth because his love did not want to leave people in their brokenness. But Jesus was also known for what he was for, not just what he was against. And if we're transparent and we tend to be around here, Christians and churches are often known for what we're against more than what we're for. Yeah. So let me encourage you. This has to stop. Our church needs to become a church that is full of grace and truth and attention of love. We cannot win our neighbor with the good news of Jesus if they're not listening to what we're saying because of how we're presenting it. 
The world is already struggling with so much polarization and division. And the question begins to be asked, where does the, this visceral division and this brokenness come from? Division and brokenness, they go hand in hand. But the gap, the gap in between it all is because of the brokenness of our relationship. Now, when we talk about brokenness, though, here's what we're trying to describe. Brokenness is, there are the pieces that don't add up to the whole. It's how our lives have been somewhat shattered, and when you put them together on their own, they don't, they don't quite match up. There's a, there's a piece that's missing. We would say it this way, that we all recognize, as disciples or students or followers of Jesus, that we believe that when it comes to this stuff, the brokenness, that Jesus is that answer. And if you're not a Christ follower today, I get that. If you're not someone who believes in God, I get that. But here's what you're going to need to decide. Who puts the pieces back together in your life? What we believe is this. We're all broken. Scripture reminds us over and over that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We believe that in the beginning, man was created. Humanity was created in a way that was in peace, in shalom with God. But when sin entered the world, it broke, it shattered it, and it created a need for a savior, a hero, Jesus. The one that would come, live a pure and blameless life, that he would die our death, that he would swallow up the wrath of sin in his sacrifice on our behalf. We believe that we're all broken. And because of that brokenness, we believe that the world itself is broken. And we see it. We see it in the fingerprints of divisiveness and injustice and pain and prejudice and turmoil and abuse. We see it when we draw the lines of left and right. We see it when we see people struggle in their anxiety and their loneliness. We see it when people are searching to fill their lives with something else and they're never satisfied. We see it in the feeling of not belonging, but supposedly being more open than we ever have been. Jesus came to mend the brokenness gap. What we experience with each other and the broken shards that rub against each other and injure each other, God is wanting to restore and to heal and to put us back together and create in us a new work of art in us, through us. So if you have Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to John chapter 4. It's a lot of foundation that we're trying to lay for this overall series. But John chapter 4 goes something like this. Jesus is actually traveling through an area, and when he does, he chooses to go through an area called Samaria. Now, in his day, it was more common to go around this region. It was mountainous, and there were a group of people that there was prejudice and tension towards, and so they would avoid it. But Jesus chooses to take the shortest route to where he's going to go, and he goes through a region that causes him to engage in an unlikely friendship and conversation. There, he sits at a well looking for refreshment, something to drink, and the well is kind of, it's, it's a gathering spot in the community. Most villages or community would be centered around the well, and this is where people would come in, they would get water for their livestock, they'd get water for their household, and they'd also gather around the well for community events like weddings. There was a place, a hub, where people were known and connected. It was a place to belong. And Jesus sits at this well that carries some sp specific religious understanding between both groups that we're going to see, but they approach it differently in their understanding about life and what God has intended for us all. Here's what it says, starting in verse 7. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples, his immediate followers, had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, But you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Here's, here's where the first gap begins to show up between these two individuals, okay? In, in the Hebrew context of the day, this is not the way it's intended to be, but this is the way it was. It was seen both as Jews or Hebrews, and then the rest of the world was considered Gentiles. What had happened in that dynamic, though, is that some Jews began to intermarry with Gentiles, and then they would, obviously, start their families. What began to happen was it began to create a prejudice and a distance because the people of God, the Hebrews, the line of David by which the Messiah would come and bring salvation to the world, had a unique relationship with God of following God above all else. But they allowed it to create this prejudice and this distance. So the first chasm is that there's an ethnic difference. Both groups, Jews and Samaritans, they think differently, they act differently, they talk differently, they value differently, they vote differently, right? Their worldviews clashed. And in the day that Jesus is there, there is this tension that it is now completely separate. Jesus places himself squarely in relationship to bridge that. But there's also a distance because he's a man and she's a woman. And men and women didn't interact in the culture of that day in a sense of equality. And yet, Jesus places himself uniquely in an environment to do that. Here's what it says. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, uh, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also his sons and his livestock? So Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and have to come, keep, keep coming uh, here to draw water. Here's what I love about when I talk about the Christian faith. When you talk about religion in general, or faith in general, Every world religion presents itself as a god or an idol that has to be approached and make their relationship right before that god or idol. Except Jesus. Jesus presents himself as God, as the payment for our sin, as the one who provides the sacrifice for us. That's why I'm a Christ follower, because I believe that humanity in and of itself cannot make itself right before God. If we could, we have no need for God. But God makes right what we've made wrong. And God pursues us. God desires to have a relationship with us. God desires to know us. And so in this conversation, Jesus offers her more than just a quench of water. She's offering new life offering an, an eternal life that begins to rearrange and give significance and purpose to her life in relationship with God himself. But this 
this really throws it for a curve. Because Jesus begins to press into the conversation, and what we see is the real core issue in this woman's life. Here's what happens. So verse 16, Jesus says this. Go, call your husband, and call back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim uh, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, the true worshipers will worship the Father, meaning God, in the Spirit and in truth. For they are kind of worshiper that the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called Christ, that's what Messiah means, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us that Jesus declared. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And that's where I wish John would have just been a little more personal and just said, and everybody wet their pants, right? You know, because it's like, oh, that's what's going on here, right? I mean, this is, this is shocking. She thinks it's just a, a casual conversation, but this is a God moment. This is a, a, a moment where someone who has been looking for significance has all sorts of reasons to be isolated and, and, and distanced and, and to not have this relationship. It's squarely being placed in front of her, not just out of, out of man to woman or different ethnicities or even different class. It's God in the flesh saying, this is what life is for. There's more than just where you worship or how you, it's in this relationship with God. Jesus mends this gap with love. He shares the truth. He doesn't condone her lifestyle. But he extends grace and extends her forgiveness and extends her a newness of life. Here's what's going on, though, in the passage. It's one thing to ask for a drink and to realize that maybe we're a different ethnicity or maybe we're a different gender. It's another thing to begin to understand that when it comes to quenching a thirst, there is what we have in the temporary and then there's what we have out of the identity of our life. But Jesus pulls back this issue of relationship and the marriages that she's been a part of. Most commentators will kind of speak into this dynamic and say, well, why has this woman had five husbands? Most likely she's not widowed. The reality is, unfortunately, in this time and in this culture, having children was a high priority to the point that if in a marriage you were not able to provide children, you could be divorced. Now imagine the wait for that just a moment. Imagine five relationships that not only you could not make the life that you wanted, but they did not want you to continue in their relationship. Five times she's felt the experience of not only acceptance, but rejection and being pushed away. 
the well plays more of a place than just something where we come to get a drink or find to be the centerpiece of the day. What, what's going on in this passage is Jesus is actually there at noon in the heat of the day. It was customary that most women would come to gather the water for their livestock or for their household in the morning, in the cool of the day. And you can imagine in the cool of the day, there are, there are several households and several women. And sometimes when ladies get together, conversation happens, right? But she's there at noon. There is no neighbor. There is no friend. There's nobody there. Some would even say that maybe she goes at that time so she does not have to run into anybody else. I mean, you know how small towns can be, right? Rejected five times, five different ways. Eventually, you get tired of the conversation behind your back. Eventually, you get tired of the glares or the looks or the conversations. Eventually, you just don't want to be around people anymore. And so as you begin to see this passage unfold, you wonder, a woman who has experienced so much rejection, so much hurt, so much woundedness by the people around her, how does she even come to the point to even listen to this man's voice? How does she even begin to understand that maybe, maybe there's something greater that's happening in this moment? It's because Jesus had the reasoning, the purpose, to treat her with dignity and love to value her as the unique person that she is and to know that even the baggage and the brokenness that all of us carry in our lives is only restored through her relationship with Jesus. And so he begins to speak into this. Max Lucado writes in a book called Just Like Jesus, he says this, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. What if we could be like Jesus, where we could be found gathering at the well, the local coffee shop, our workplace, our gym, whatever it is, and in our relationships, we would not be ones to cast a stone, to label, to, to define left or right, or single people out by who they are, but actually engage people in, in dignity and have difficult conversations because there's more at stake than just a political perception or just your view of a sports team or how economy should work for our community. There's an eternity for everybody that we come in contact with. And so our conversations and our relationships begin to bear opportunity where either we will lead people towards restoration or we will repel them from the love that God has intended for them. What if God could take all of our brokenness and begin to put it together? And then in our brokenness, the healing and restoration that shows up could begin to create a new masterpiece in us of wholeness, completeness, where God begins to restore us in his likeness. There's an art form that's out there, a Japanese art form called kintsugi. It's a Japanese art form that is, is something that they use for repairing pottery by mending specific areas that have been broken off with a lacquer and a, and a dust mixed with powdered gold or a platinum. By mixing it together, what they do is, where the brokenness has happened, they begin to use this, lax, this lacquer mix, and it begins to hold together the broken pieces. But at the same time, there's this gold trim, there's this platinum trim that now brings a new beauty to that piece of pottery. Maybe you're not tracking what I'm saying. Let's, let's put this in a, a more recent conversation. 
Let me introduce to you the mask of Kylo Ren. Some of you know this as the new Star Wars experience. Kylo Ren was in an incredible battle where his mask was destroyed. Rather than just getting a new mask, Kylo Ren decided to have it put back together. And what you see in the latest Star Wars movie is our villain entering on the screen with a mask that has these thin red lines walking through, choosing to be a leader who leads with his scars being seen to the world around him. And it presents a brokenness, a brokenness in his leadership, a brokenness in his life. And he begins to lead, choosing to be restored rather than replaced. There's probably a message in there, but we don't have time for that. This is what Jesus does. And Jesus takes our broken life, and Jesus begins to repair and restore. He begins to mend our gaps of brokenness because he was broken for us. Here's the idea. We belong to Jesus because he was broken for us. We belong to Jesus because of the work that he did. Remember what, remember what Isaiah the prophet said about Jesus? He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, but we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by God, afflicted by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was brought, that brought us peace was on him. And I like this last phrase. And by his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus engages in this conversation and begins to find connection with this this lady, where they actually are able to have a civil conversation to, to address the needs that are before both of them. Jesus engages in a deeper conversation to gain clarity and understanding. And once this connection has been established and once uh, a deeper clarity has been understood, there's this, there's this transformation or conversion that begins to play out. Friends, we all have brokenness. And my brokenness is different than your brokenness. But truth of Jesus and his love does not change. And grace from Jesus is necessary for all of us. But we must admit that love is our best way to enter into those conversations. That's what this series is really about. How do we, how do we as a church, begin to engage in a broken world from our own brokenness, understanding that love Love is how we need to enter these conversations. The truth of the matter is, each and every one of us are broken. The truth of the matter is, brokenness is our connection, but wholeness is our story. Wholeness that's only created in our relationship with Jesus. If we're going to be heard, if we're going to be heard in a word, if we're going to be heard in a world that's so polarized on tough topics that tunes out the church, we have to begin to be more like Jesus, to be love, to be grace and truth to a world that is yet to know him.
Here's our prayer. This is what we long for for all of us as a church. Second Peter says this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever, whoever does not have them is nearsighted, is blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Friends, we are all broken people. We're broken. And it's only through the sacrifice of Jesus that we will find healing and restoration. And so may we as people, as the church, as the body of Christ, may we be the kind of people that do not avoid these conversations, but appropriately live out these conversations. May we embrace love in a way that expresses both truth and grace. And may we be made into a movement of people that bring love to even the most difficult of relationships and circumstances around us. Let's move to our time of response. Over the next few weeks, we're going to intentionally have conversations that we've, we've deemed PG-13. And we would love for everyone to be a part of this, but we're gonna unpack some more difficult conversations. Today we talk about brokenness and it's probably not hard for us to put our hands up or to have our person next to us help us put our hands up that we are broken. We, we will admit that. The church has really kind of become known more for the lines that we've drawn and the fingers that we've pointed and stones that we've thrown. And we're going to need to find a way to step back into these conversations if we're going to lead people towards grace and the truth that leads them to be more like Jesus. Next week, a friend of mine is going to join us on stage. And I think you'll be impacted by his testimony. He's going to talk to us about his experience of growing up, not as a Christ follower, and how, how maybe we need to talk about sexuality. We need to reach people that are probably different than us, and what does that mean, and how do we stand in that tension? The week after that, we're going to talk about racism, about prejudice. Friends, we're all quick to say that there's only one race, the human race, Racism and prejudice destroys our world in ways that we oftentimes don't even want to take accountability for. And so what we're going to do is we're going to create a platform. We're going to bring some friends on stage that go to church with you. They're going to talk about their worldviews and their perspectives. And we're going to ask them to understand the journey that they've been a part of. Because what does a 48-year-old white man really know about prejudice? America. 
more you ramp up and start giving all of our excuses about what we should do or what needs, we need to listen, friends. We need to listen to the journey. We need to understand the dynamic that exists around us so that we can we can squelch the prejudice in our community. Now, last week, we we're going to talk about addiction. I know you probably don't have some story that you were abandoned by your parents at age two and raised by wolves to age five and hooked on heroin by age seven and, you know, all that. You, you, that's probably not your testimony, right? Right? But every one of us struggle with the addiction of self. We do. And as we stand before God who calls us to surrender, we all need to come face to face with the things that we're addicted to whether it be our wallet, our career, food, alcohol, a bottle, pornography. Over the next three weeks, we're gonna unpack those conversations and we're gonna do them intentionally. And I wanna encourage you to come. I want to encourage you to be a part of all three of them because where else but in a family conversation can we prep, can we prepare to talk about these kind of dynamics and then be prepared to live it out in the community that we're a part of. And I want you to invite somebody. You know how this works though, people. We don't do, oh, I've got a friend that I want to talk to about sexuality. I've got a friend that I want, no. You need to think about people that you know maybe don't have a relationship with God. People who could help be a part of this movement of God's love. This is not for us to put a list of the top three people that need to hear this message. It's a conversation of who do we want to begin to, to help see this change happen through and with. Invite somebody. Could be a family member. Could be a coworker. Could be a schoolmate. We want you to attend all three of the next weeks. We want you to invite somebody here. And then we want to ask you to listen. Listen with us. Let's ask hard questions of ourselves. Let's go through this journey together. Let's figure out how we can hold this tension of truth and grace, how we can stand understanding what Scripture teaches us and yet invade the very darkest areas of our world with hope and the light of Jesus. Because we believe everyone spends eternity somewhere. So would you come? Invite somebody? Listen? And maybe there will come a point by the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we may repent, ask for God's forgiveness, and be the broken vessel that is restored to show the masterpiece of what God always intended for our lives to be for the world around us. In just a moment, we're gonna ask every one of us to respond. The band will continue to play and we'll begin to sing out. Some of us will pause and maybe sit in our chairs and pray for a moment. Maybe others are gonna come forward and they're gonna pray at these prayer benches. There are six tables around the room that are opportunities for us to commune with God. What that means is we come forward and we take this bread and we take this juice being reminded that it is Jesus's broken body and his shed blood. 
And it is an open invitation to anyone who believes in the sacrifice of Jesus, being the forgiveness of our sins, being the life everlasting. And we eat that bread and we drink that juice to both commemorate what Jesus has done and to celebrate what Jesus is doing in us. We'd ask that you go to the table closest to you. There are six around the room. And then many of us will respond to the give and respond boxes. We encourage you to grab a connection card. Maybe, maybe today is the day that you're going to sign up to be a part of a group. Maybe today is the day that you have a prayer request that you want to share. Maybe today there's just a conversation that you want to begin to unpack. But we'd ask that you take those connect cards and you place them in the give and respond boxes. And also, we give of our tithes and offerings. Because as a church, we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And that's represented through the body, the church itself. And so we partner to fuel the ministry of what God's doing here so that we can take God's message and his ministry into a community where people can know his love. Because we want to see this message shared to the ends of the earth. However you choose to respond, whether it's to continue to sit or to stand, whether it's to sing, whether it's to pray, whether it's to take communion or give and respond, this is our chance respond to God. So let's stand and let's respond.